Morning, church. Nothing better on a cold morning than to warm each other up with some uh, great singing. When I had you stand and greet one another with a warm handshake, I was instructed, no, don't do that. You can look around and see the cold and flu season is upon us. Some statistics say it's the worst flu season in 10 years. So you can see there are some folks missing today. And uh, I guess we need one of those big um, pump jugs out there to hand sanitizer. Is that what we need? Maybe a little bit something like that. So I was flipping through the channels last night looking for a football game, and I noticed that Miss America pageant was on. So I kept flipping through the channels looking for a football game. I did. I didn't stop. But the thought occurred to me, I wonder if there are any criteria to be Miss America. So I got on the Internet and I Googled, and what are the requirements to be able to apply and, and, and be in the Miss America pageant? Maybe you didn't know there are requirements. You must be between the ages of 17 and 24. You must be a citizen of the United States. You must be a high school graduate or have successfully completed the GED testing program. You must meet residency requirements for competing in a certain town or state. You must have community involvement, civic and charitable work, and dedication to a particular platform that you would promote if you were to win the title. You must be physically fit and in good enough health to fulfill the requirements of the job. You must meet character criteria as set forth by the Miss America organization, which I searched for about 30 minutes and couldn't find. Isn't that interesting? Maybe it's private. There are character criteria. You must never have been married nor had a marriage annulled. You must never have been pregnant. You must not be the adoptive parent of any child. And then, of course, after going through all of that, you've got to be voted in. So there's criteria to be Miss America. But pretty much in anything that we're associated with, there is criteria. So, for example, we just elected a president of the United States. If you want to be president of the United States, you must be a natural-born citizen, 35 years of age, and you must have been 14 years a resident of the United States, although, depending on where you go and read, is that 14 consecutive years, 14 every other year? That's a little um, vague. And if you meet these qualifications, you can run for the office of president, and if you get voted in, you're in. There are job requirements that have criteria. Maybe you have to have a, a certain amount level of education. Maybe you have to have a certain amount of experience. Maybe there's some background checks. Maybe there's an interview process. And then you might get hired, but you know all those things going in. And then I got to thinking, you know, back to athletics in high school, if you want to go out for some sport, to a certain degree, but not fully, you've got to kind of have some athletic talent. Now, you might make the team and sit on the bench for the rest of your life, but to a certain degree, if you want to play a sport, they're looking for people that have a talent in that sport. Of course, these days there might be some drug testing. There's some um, grade requirements. That's if you want to participate in athletics. We've got some of our high school seniors that are thinking about going to college, and there are entrance requirements to go to college, depending on the college. There's an application. There's character references. There are recommendations you must get. They want to know everything about your high school and your involvement and community involvement and extracurricular. 
You know all those things going in. If you want to be in Rotary Club, there are requirements to be in Rotary Club. Pretty much anything we're associated with, there are criteria. So I got to thinking, I'm going to develop some criteria for people who want to be elders. So I came up with this list. I had your attention for a minute, didn't I? Well, I wonder what Richie's going to say. Well, I'm going to say what God's Word says. Because ironically, God has criteria for people who are elders. He says, if you want to be a leader of my organization, my church, here's the criteria. So just like everything else that we bump into and we're associated with, in the same way, God says, if you want to be the leader of the church that I established, that Jesus died for, here's some criteria. So we've kind of overwhelmed you today with some things in chairs around you. So here's a little white brochure that's got some terminology and scripture and qualifications from two different places and duties of elders. So you can look through that. I'll make reference to that. You have uh, on a different color sheet an elder recommendation. There are instructions on the back and there's a place for you to list them in on the front. I'll tell you that if you drop these in the box today... They'll get thrown away because you didn't read the instructions. You think I'm kidding. If you put these in the box in the foyer today, we will take them out and throw them away. That will be explained a little bit later. And then you've got some key dates. I told you this process would not be short. It doesn't need to be short. And so we've asked you to spend some time in study and time in prayer And as we go through the process, we'll keep you posted on that. The Apostle Paul viewed the position of elder or overseer as a very significant role. Depending on who you ask, perhaps the greatest decision a church can make is in selecting and electing leaders, especially elders. Nothing changes the direction of the church as much as elders. You can hire a preacher and that can change a little bit, but when you select men to be elders, that changes the direction of the church. What is an elder? Well, again, you've got some terminology there. I told you last week we're not trying to confuse you, but if you were to read the Greek, if you have a Greek interlinear Bible, you can look these up. So here are some words. There's the Greek word presbyteros or presbyter. It's translated as elder or older person. It indicates a man who is mature, a man who is seasoned, a man who has had some battles in life, a man who has fought some spiritual battles. It doesn't say an elder has to be a certain age. Men can be spiritually mature at 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70, and men can be spiritually immature at 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70. But the word suggests an older person who is mature and has some spiritual experience. There's the Greek word episkopos or bishop or supervisor or superintendent or overseer. It indicates one who watches over, as in watching over the church or watching over the flock. There's the Greek word poimen, which is translated as pastor or shepherd. It indicates one who tends to sheep, tends to the flock. The shepherd metaphor shows up more than 
hundred times in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, without question, the dominant biblical model for spiritual leadership is a shepherd of the flock. Now, you've got some scriptures that are listed on the front of that brochure where those words are used. I put those words in parentheses. Again, not to confuse you, but if you hear in church, well, elder or bishop or presbyter or overseer, we're referring to the same person, but here's where those are used in Scripture. Some of these refer to the person and describe the person. Some of these words describe the function of the person. All three of these words encompass what we're looking for in an elder. So from these words, we can see that an elder is, number one, an elder is a leader. I mean, that's obvious. We're electing men to oversee the church. They are leaders. A leader must have the ability to lead. In any group, you will find followers and you will find leaders. I see no wisdom in appointing followers to be leaders. An elder is a leader. Number two, an elder is a shepherd based on the word that you saw there. A shepherd is one who protects. A shepherd is one who provides. A shepherd is one who feeds. A shepherd is one who waters. A shepherd is one who tends to herding and wounded sheep. And so the Bible says, keep watch over all the flock. Be shepherds of the church. Watch for wolves. Be shepherds of God's flock. An elder is a shepherd. An elder is an overseer. Again, this is from the word bishop. Everett Ferguson writes, the title bishop suggested a manager, administrator, supervisor. It means it carries with it decision making. If you're going to be an elder, if you're going to be over a church, obviously there's some decisions that need to be made. Some very crucial decisions at times. That doesn't mean that the elders have to make all the decisions. They can delegate, but they need to oversee and be involved in the decision making. An elder is a servant. First Peter 5 and verse 3 says, Serve as an overseer and shepherd of the flock. Elders are servants. If a man is not willing to serve in any capacity, then he certainly doesn't need to serve in the capacity of an elder. Millard Erickson writes, Christian leaders should be certain that their goal is to serve God and others, not to receive the title or honor that comes with leadership. No task should be beneath them. They should not ask others to do what they are unwilling to do themselves. And so if the man you're thinking about recommending as an elder is not presently serving in some capacity, you should think twice because an elder is a servant and he serves as an overseer. An elder is, for lack of a better phrase, a prayer warrior. We mentioned Acts 6 last week where the apostles asked the church to select some men to be deacons, to serve in that role for some Grecian widows who needed some food. And it says, here was their reasoning. We will give our attention to prayer. Now, I'm not suggesting we have elder, I mean, apostles today. I don't think we do. We don't think we have apostles today. I'm not suggesting you call our elders apostles. I'm suggesting the principle involved here is... We want our leaders to give attention to prayer. Now, isn't that what you want in a leader? Don't you want a leader who is dedicated to prayer? James 5 says, Is any, of, any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him. Isn't that what you want in a leader? Is a, is a person who will come and pray over you and with you, one who gives attention to prayer? 
An elder is a student of God's word. Again, in Acts chapter 6, the same passage, the apostle said, we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Isn't that what you want in a leader? Someone who's dedicated to prayer and dedicated to the study of the Bible? Not suggesting that elders be Bible scholars. I'm just suggesting that elders be Bible students. They need to be familiar with God's word. Why is that? Well, as you saw in the scripture reading, as you see in Titus chapter 1, at the end of the list of qualifications, it says an elder must encourage others by sound doctrine. How else can an elder know what sound doctrine is unless he's in the word of God? So you need to know what sound doctrine is by being a student of the word. He goes on to say an elder must refute those who oppose sound doctrine. If you don't know what sound doctrine is, how can you refute those? So an elder needs to be a student of God's word. And then in Titus chapter 1 and verse 10, immediately after the qualifications of an elder, he goes on to say, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. An elder needs to be a student of God's word so that he can silence those who are teaching false doctrine. I like the way the message translates this verse. There are a lot of rebels out there full of loose, confusing, and deceiving talk. Those who were brought up religious and ought to know better, they are the worst. They've got to be shut up. It's a message translation, but that's part of the duty of being an elder. Sometimes you need to silence people because they're not preaching the truth. An elder needs to be a student of the word. How else will he know how to feed the flock? So with these things in mind, with these definitions of the person and the function, Paul tells us in Timothy and Titus about the characteristics, the criteria. At the beginning of the lesson, I said, I've come up with a list of criteria. I haven't. I don't need to. We have it in God's word, and Paul shares those with us. In fact, he starts in 1 Timothy 3, says, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. So at the forefront of a man serving as an elder, he must desire the task. There might be men qualified. You've known men in years past who were qualified who had no desire. And that's okay. Because it's a huge responsibility to serve as an elder. And some men say, you know, I don't want to do that. And that's okay. But the men that we select should desire the task. Now, the emphasis is not on the title or the position or the esteem of being an elder. The emphasis is on the work of an elder. It doesn't say the desire is to be an elder. The desire is to be upon the task, upon the ministry of serving as an elder. So here are some criteria But before I tell you the criteria, which are listed in your handout as well, you need to note we're not looking for perfection. That's not the purpose of these criteria. If we were looking for perfection, we would find Jesus. And they killed him. He's the only perfect person who's ever lived. So we're not looking for perfect people. We can find flaws in any men. You will find flaws in our present elders. Because the Bible says we've all sinned. And you will find flaws in the men who will be recommended to serve as elders. We're not looking for perfection. We are looking for a man who is spiritually mature and is defined by these qualities. 
So you can follow along on the handout or in Timothy and Titus. It says above reproach. He must have a good reputation. The word, your translation may say blameless. A good reputation, he'll say later, with outsiders. A good reputation with those within the church. The husband of but one wife. Now, depending on the church you go to and the preacher you listen to, And whatever publication you might read, you'll see this defined in numerous ways. So I'm not going to try to convince you today. You study it. You decide what that means. But I think there's a bigger picture here. But, you know, a lot of questions come up. Can a man be an elder if he is divorced and remarried? You've got to make that decision. Can a man be an elder if his wife dies? I've known churches that if the wife dies, we can't be an elder anymore. Why not? You're still the husband of one wife. But some churches say, no, you're out. If his wife dies and then he remarries and has a godly woman, can he be an elder again? He's remarried. You've got to decide. Can a man be an elder if he's divorced and then he becomes a Christian? And then he's put up to be an elder? You see, there's all kinds of stuff out here. But you have to decide. But I think Paul's talking about moral purity between a husband and his wife. There's nothing that builds a man's reputation more than being faithful to his wife. There's nothing that destroys a man's reputation more than being unfaithful to his wife. So Paul is saying if you can't trust a man to be loyal to his wife, how can you trust him to oversee the church? That's the big picture. So you study and you pray and you decide on the marriage, the death, remarriage, divorce, that's your decision. I'm not going to stand up here and say, here's the way it is. Because you can go listen to another preacher who will say it another way. I will tell you that Paul's thinking of the big picture. Look at how a man is with his wife, and that's how he's going to be with the church. Temperate. This has to do with having a clear focus, being stable, being able to think clearly to a large degree, having self-control in all situations. And then he says self-control. The Greek word means sound in mind, discreet, sober, sensible, disciplined. The word respectable, we get our word cosmetics from this Greek word. Why does a woman wear cosmetics? Why does some men wear cosmetics? Because they want to look good. That's the word here. An elder should look good in the presence of the church and to outsiders. Not just a facade, but all Christians should give off an appearance that we look good and we're displaying Jesus Christ. The word means well-behaved, orderly, composed, solid. Hospitable. This refers to the way a man uses his material possessions. A man should, who is an elder should use his material possessions in a way that he's hospitable. He uses them for ministry, especially his home and opening up his home. Able to teach, able, capable, skillful. A student of God's word who can communicate in a non-argumentative, non-defensive, non-threatening way, able to teach. Not given to drunkenness. Some translations say not given to wine. The Bible says spiritual leaders should never overindulge and overdrink, Proverbs 23. Spiritual leaders should never cause others to sin by using their freedom in Christ, Romans 14. Spiritual leaders should never become addicted to anything, again, Proverbs 23. So an elder has to decide, well, 
You know, is my drinking or the amount I drink going to be influential in those that I oversee? Not violent. A leader should avoid having anger out of control. The word may be translated not a bruiser, not a bully, not a striker, not a brawler, not a person who's contentious, not a person who's quarrelsome. He says the word gentle, which is the opposite of being violent. It means one who is reasonable, fair, forbearing, patient, long-suffering. He says, not a lover of money. The scriptures do not teach that money is bad. The scriptures don't teach that money is evil. You can read through the Bible. There's a lot of God's people who are extremely wealthy. The word means not greedy, not covetous, not materialistic. He must manage his own family well. We get into another criteria that can be defined differently depending on the church, the preacher, who you listen to. What does it mean he must manage his own family well? Because it says, believing children. Believing what? They must be faithful. To what? Some will say, well, the child has to be, the children need to be baptized believers. Well, it doesn't say that. Well, yeah, but Richie, it means that. Well, you decide. And again, some churches will say, well, you've got to have more than one child because it says children. So if a man has one child, then he can't be an elder. And what if he's got a child that's, by your definition, is a believer, a baptized believer that's 15 or 16, and then he has another child? Should he step down? Because this is a baby, a newborn. Some churches say, well, you can't be an elder because that's a baby. That's not a believer. Again, you can be as picky as you want, and you get to decide. But I think there's a bigger picture here, and that is, Paul says, look at how a man raises and treats his family. Are they good kids? Are they well-behaved? Or are they wild and disobedient? Because the way, if you look at a man, a test here, if you look at how a man raises his children and raises his family, that's how he's going to treat the church in the same way. So is he a bully, brawler, tyrant, ogre? Is that who you want leading the church? Or is he gentle? Is he not violent? Does he have good kids? Is he a good family man? Look at his children, look at his wife, look at his family, and that will give you a pretty good idea of how he treats the church. If you want to know how a man will lead the church, look at how he leads his home, and you decide through prayer and study. Not a recent convert. Your translation may say not a novice. Paul says you should not appoint a man as an elder who's a new Christian because you're setting him up for a direct attack from Satan. Don't do that. But he doesn't say he's got to be a Christian one year, six months, five years, ten years. He just says not a recent convert, not a novice. Again, he mentions good reputation. A leader in the church needs to have a good reputation in the local community. And so Paul says again, if you put a man in who does not have a good reputation, you put him into the devil's trap. You ever heard someone say, in all of your years and being associated with the church... Churches, you know, all over that you represent and you come from. That man's an elder at your church? There's a message right there. Again, we're not looking for perfection. But a man needs to have a good reputation in the community. And then there are some things that are said about wives. 1 Timothy 3.11 says, 
In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Some will say, well, that refers to wives of deacons because it comes right after that. And some will say, well, no, that refers to wives in general. I will say that wives are crucial to being a leader in the church. I could stop with wives are crucial. It's a team. So the man you put in as an elder, it's a team. So you need to look at his wife. Because without a doubt, a man who serves in an elder needs a supporting and trustworthy wife who can be trusted, who's not a gossip, who's not a malicious talker. Perhaps nothing destroys the church more than an elder's wife who reveals information and gossips and is a malicious talker. You say, Richie, that's kind of harsh. No, that's from God's word. That's not my criteria. There's a lot of information that elders hear and a lot of things that they know about you. And that needs to be confidential. And I know elders that don't even tell their wives anything. I'll just give you one example. My mom knew nothing about what happened in elders' meetings. She didn't want to know. My dad was an elder for 25 years. It was better for her not to know so that she wouldn't have the temptation to share. It's possible for a man to meet the criteria for being a shepherd and not be qualified because of his wife. It's a package deal. It's a team. When an elder shepherds you, many times the elder and the wife are there together. So what team do you want to have serving you as elders? Again, these characteristics were never intended to be a checklist. Okay, he's got that, he's got that, he's got, oh. He's got that, he's got, oh. Well, he can't be an elder. That's not the purpose of this, these criteria here. Again, Paul says, we're looking for men that these qualities are evident in their life. That's what we're looking for. Is, is a man a good family man? Does he have a good reputation? Does he uh, have good character? Does, does he possess these qualities to a, a large degree? Because you can be a spiritual leader and not be a shepherd. That's okay. In fact, you can go to an extreme. The Pharisees were spiritual leaders They were far from being shepherds. In fact, they acted more like wolves. But they were spiritual leaders. And then Peter, in 1 Peter 5, gives two exhortations to shepherds. He says they're to be eager to serve and they should avoid lording it over those entrusted to them. They need to be eager to serve and they don't need to lord it over the flock. We're not looking for men who can attend meetings We're looking for men who can attend to the business of the flock and overseeing the flock. That's what a shepherd does. That's what we're looking for. Again, this is not a popularity contest. It's not a contest. It's not about who gets the most votes. Well, if I get the most votes, I get to be president. If I get the most votes, I get to be Miss America. If I get the most votes, that's, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for godly men to oversee this flock. And this flock takes on the nature of its leaders. So what do you want us to look like in the next five years, ten years? You get to decide. The elders don't have to let you decide. Again, Paul told Titus, the reason I left you in Crete is I want you to appoint elders in every church. Biblically, I could appoint the elders of this church. I prefer that the elders let you decide. 
So you'll have opportunity. You've got a recommendation form that you need to study the scripture. You need to pray. You need to talk to the men. If you drop it in the box today, it will be thrown away. That'll be explained a little more in just a minute. Read the instructions on the back. But you get to be involved. The greatest way you get to be involved is you get to pray to God. God, would you help this church appoint the leaders that you want? You say, well, I don't know the people here. You can pray to God. God, would you oversee this process? You can be involved. And then at some point when men are put before you, you get to be involved. So don't take that lightly. You need to be involved in that. We offer the invitation of Jesus Christ today. The good shepherd who laid down his life for us. Who modeled for us what an elder should be, a shepherd should be. Because Jesus died for us. That's how much he loves us. So Jesus asks of each member of his flock today, everybody who's ever lived on the earth, will you follow me? That's what Jesus wants. Will you follow me? Will you give me your life? Will you repent of your sins? Will you repent of trying to live your life and live for me? That's what Jesus calls each and every one of us to do. Will you repent of your sins? Will you be baptized? Will you wear the name Christian? But it's not about wearing a name. Will you follow Jesus in each and everything that you do? If you need to respond to the invitation today, please do so as we stand and sing.